Woo, everybody. All right, today's guest definitely brings some industry star power with him. He's one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers, and not a one, but two-time number one best-selling author in the business and leadership categories. He's been featured in over 50 radio and television shows, plus over 260 newspapers and magazines, including The Wall Street Journal, Time, Forbes, Fast Company, The Washington Post, PR News, and Success. Welcome to the podcast, Paul Smith. Let's be great storytellers. Paul Smith, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, to be gr- here. it's great to have you on. Um, so you're a very well-recognized leader. Um, if you want to just go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not sure I would call myself a well-recognized leader. I, I might at this point be a well-recognized author, um, but uh, my leadership experience comes from my time before being an author. Uh, so I spent a couple of years at Accenture and then 20 years at the Procter and Gamble company. And that's where most of my leadership experience came from is, you know, 20 years in a corporate career. My, my last job was running uh, consumer, the consumer research department at a, at, at P&G and a, and a $6 billion global business unit. So I had a, you know, a large staff of people and budget and stuff like that. But uh, I, I may have learned more about leadership from in the last decade, being an author and, and interviewing hundreds of successful CEOs and executives and leaders about the, the stories that they tell. I, I, I may have learned more about leadership uh, from from that aspect than my own experience, but uh, nonetheless, I'm the guy here you're talking to, so I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> it's all good. Um, you do have two best-selling books, if you want to uh, go ahead and plug those right off the bat. Yeah, so, well, I've, I, I think I have five books. I'd probably say oh, three of them have maybe hit bestseller lists um so the 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 three are the um lead with a story it's the first one sell with a story is the third one so it's a book on storytelling for sales and marketing people and then uh the 10 stories great leaders tell uh those three all hit number one in their categories on on amazon but uh my parenting with a storybook didn't do as well but i i I hope it made a good impact on the world people know how to be uh teach their kids character better through uh through storytelling and uh yeah my most recent book is uh, Four Days with Kenny Tedford. So it's a biography of a deaf storyteller who just, just has led this fascinating life. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm rather proud of all of them, but uh, uh, it definitely some sell more than others. Hey, I mean, not everything can be a number one, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a hard goal line to set for uh, every book, but you always hope it'll get there. For sure. So what would you say, you know, is, is your greatest area of expertise? Oh, well, I mean, storytelling clearly at this point, um, in this, over the last 10 years, that's what I've dedicated my career to is researching and writing about the art and the science of storytelling at work um, to make you a better leader, a better salesperson, better marketer, a better engineer, whatever, to help people use the art and the science of storytelling uh, professionally. Uh, yeah, I, I should say in their job, not as a professional storyteller or actor or something, but in their normal job <laughs> to do better at it 
through the art and the science of storytelling. That's great. And what, in that kind of time, have you found makes a good leader? Yeah, so I mean, there are all kinds of things, I suppose, that make a good leader. Um, integrity and courage and discipline and having a vision and probably even a passion for winning is, uh, is a good leadership quality. But the one that I obviously focus on is storytelling, which is maybe one that wouldn't make most people's list, um, but is a, is, is a surprising, surprisingly effective skill. I mean, it's not the first one I would pick. I mean, if you could only have one or two attributes of a good leader, that's not the one I would pick for sure. It'd be one of those one of those others. But a lot of leaders have integrity and courage and discipline and have a good vision. Um, you can be a good leader and not a great leader and have those things. Uh, storytelling is the thing that I think can dis- differentiates a good leader from a great leader. But if you don't have those other things, I think you're probably not even a good leader. <laughs> right. So that's kind of you know where you stand on the... The great leader is somebody who can, you know, rally the troops and and lead that story from yeah, understanding. Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I would describe it as storytelling is a communication skill or technique. I mean, a lot of people can give a good speech or, you know, talk, talk fluently to other people. But uh, storytelling is a very unique skill set. It doesn't just mean somebody who can give a good speech or make a good presentation. So, stories are unique things that some people tell and some people don't um and i i think uh i think the best leaders have that either innately uh or they've studied it and most of it's probably just innate um, but even for those of us who are not naturally gifted natural born storytellers it's a it's a skill set you can definitely learn yeah what do you think is probably the best way people can learn just to tell a, a story yeah so i i would say treat storytelling like any other skill that you want to have meaning study it i, I think th- you know if if uh, you needed to know accounting to be better at your job you'd probably go take a an accounting class right you'd read a few books on accounting you'd watch some youtube videos you know you just treat it as like any other skill that you wanted to acquire but storytelling is different somehow people think oh well that's not the kind of thing you learn you just either born with it or you're not like it's like oh being a good artist or a musician you're just naturally gifted or you're not and that's just that's just not true it's not true for art or musicians either there are some people who are naturally gifted artists and musicians but those people study hard at their craft right so if you wanted to learn to play the guitar you wouldn't just buy a guitar and put it by your bed and hope that like by osmosis you'd learn how to play the guitar right (laughs) you'd go take guitar lessons from somebody who knew how to play the guitar right so i guess my point is treat storytelling the same way Go take lessons, go take a class, read a book, watch some YouTube videos, you know, learn it like you would any other thing else. Um, and and, I, and you, I think you can become very good at it. You may never, you know, master it so much that you're a, a Hollywood screenwriter or something, but you can definitely get better at it. Nice. And then you have, obviously, in your uh, numerous bestsellers that we were talking about, you have that top 10 stories that great leaders tell. And how do you narrow it down or you know find those stories that are really you know make for a great leader yeah so those 10 i i i used four criteria to pick them um and there i for i should say that there are dozens if not hundreds of stories that i think any good leader needs to be able to tell but if if i had to pick a top 10 and i did because i was writing a book called the <laughs> 10 stories great leaders tell so right. i had to pick the 10 right so here are the four criteria that i used first of all uh, I, I picked stories that my clients 
most frequently ask me for help with. So that's what I am as a, I'm a professional storytelling coach for executives, right? So um, I, I noticed that there were a set of stories that leaders were co constantly asking me, hey, can you help me with this story or with that story? So that was my first criteria is I wanted it to be a, a story that I knew most executives wanted help with. Secondly, I wanted them to be in areas that I knew leaders needed to engage in. Like there's some areas, it's just not that important for the leader to really engage in, but there's some areas like setting a vision for the organization or leading an important change that leaders need to engage in, but there's some areas of business that leaders don't really need to engage in. Um, the third one was I wanted to pick stories that, um, that people from all kinds of functional disciplines would benefit from. So it's, these are not just stories that the CEO needs to tell or just stories that the marketing leader needs to tell or that the HR leader needs to tell. These are stories that any leader of any functional discipline would need to tell. And then the last criteria I used was just that it, these would be stories that you could and should tell for years and not have to change them. You know, there's some stories that you'll tell only once or twice because you only needed that story for that one or two situations. But, you know, your company's founding story, for example, well, that's never going to change. A company only gets founded one time or your, your, your vision story. Well, your vision might change every five or six years, but it's not going to change every month. So you can tell a vision story over and over and over again for years and get a lot of value. out. So I wanted to pick stories that it would behoove people to get right and invest some time developing because you're going to use it over and over and over again. So those are my criteria. And, and we, we've probably teased your audience because I don't even think we told them what the 10 were. Should we, should we do that? I mean, you could. Uh, I, I tease them fairly regularly, so that's all right. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you what, I, I, we'll give them the first four. All right. So, because the, the first four kind of go together because they're about setting the direction for the organization. And I've already mentioned a couple of them. So, the first one is the founding story, where we came from. So, I call it a where we came from story. Um, it's the story of the founding of the company. The second one is why we can't stay there. So, it's a case for change story, a story you would tell when you know that you need to change, make a major change in the organization. And it's a story to convince people that, yeah, we need to change this. The third one is where we're going. So that's the vision story. And then the fourth one is how we're going to get there, which is a strategy story, because a strategy is about how you're going to get from where you are now to where you want to be. So if you think about those four stories, it's where we came from, why we can't stay there, where we're going, and how we're going to get there. I think any leader in an organization needs to be able to articulate that in a way, that, in a real human, visceral way, so that the organization will get where they, they need to be. Yeah. Do you think it's one of those that, you know, maybe the, the CEO tells their executive level leadership, does it go down, you know, steadily layer to layer from manager to supervisor, from supervisor to employee, that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I think that's the way it's done best. I mean, some people, you know, the, the CEO will be on a webinar with the entire company and, you know, they'll tell some stories and that's great. That works too. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the way you described it, though, I think is it works better that way um, because everybody that tells it's going to tell it a little bit differently. And each manager at each level knows their people better than anybody else. And so they'll tell the story in a way that will resonate with that particular audience, maybe better than when the CEO, you know, who doesn't even know those people personally. So, yeah, I, I think it's better when you have multiple layers telling it. Plus, that just gets more people involved in the telling of the the story and so they're now they're they're a little bit more invested it, it, it's like I, I can't remember who said this but um you know until you can teach something 
it's not really clear that you know it that well yourself, <laughs> you know? So if you just have one, the boss telling the story and everybody hears it, it may, you're, it may not be that they all really understand it. But if you have several dozens of other people in the hierarchy telling the story, they probably have a better understanding of it. And so I, I think it helps for a number of reasons. Yeah, it kind of sounds almost like building a legend, like old lore. You know, you get that uh, that verbal tradition. Um, and so you get, you know, the first person that stills it. And then the second person telling it adds on their piece to their yeah. audience. And then it, it expands like that. And it seems, you know, like that really uh, would draw people in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a good analogy. Yeah. And I was reminded when you're talking, you know, what's our vision? What's the mission? Um, I don't remember the quote exactly, but it was one that was like, uh, a vision without a mission is a dream and a mission without a vision is doomed to fail. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need, you need both for sure. All three of those things. Yeah. It, it seems so often that people have this idea of where they're going and not necessarily how to do it. Mm-hmm. Is that something you kind of help coach people through often? Yeah, so, so if you think about those first four stories, three of them are three of the things that you just mentioned. So yes, you need the vision, uh, but you also need to know the how to get how to we get there. So that's the the way I heard that quote you mentioned was uh, a vision with um, a vision without a plan is just a dream. Right. So the plan or the mission or whatever, like that's the practical way to get there. So if you don't have a practical plan, then it's just a dream. Right. But if you have a vision and a real plan to get there, well, now that that's achievable. So, so those first four, in addition to where we came from, you've got the, uh, the, the third thing you need is the motivation. Why would somebody invest a lot of their time and energy trying to accomplish this objective if it's not worthy, if it's not worth it? So that second story, why we can't stay there, is a compelling case for change. That will give people the motivation to, oh, yeah, it's, this is really important. We really need to work on this. Okay, where are we trying to get to? That's the vision. How are we going to get there? That's the strategy. Why are we doing it? That's the case for change. And I think a good leader needs all three of those uh, to affect a change. Yeah. Um, is it something you see often that somebody is just missing one entirely and they don't even necessarily see you know, that it's so critical and they're just like, well, I have this plan for the business and it seems solid enough and I have the drive to get it done and I don't understand why it's not working. Yeah, all the time. In fact, um, most leaders know their company's founding story and probably can share it fairly well. So that's of those four and of, of the 10, that's the one that most leaders get right. And they already have got that figured out. Um, most leaders have a vision too, but very few of them have a vision story to go with it. Most leaders have a strategy, but very few leaders have a strategy story to go with it okay so it's the, the a story is not the same you know the vision story is not the same as the vision you know the vision vision might be you know we want to be the fastest growing restaurant chain on the east coast you know or we want to make the world's quietest jet engines or something okay well that's a that's a vision or maybe it's a mission or something but it's not a story if you tell a story about it well what's it going to be like around here when we've achieved the goal of being the fastest growing restaurant chain on the east coast are we going to get bigger Christmas bonuses or is it going to be more fun to work here? Or, you know, <laughs> or is my career path going to be bad? like, you know, how's it going to be different? Uh, 
Right. Tell me a story about that, and that'll motivate me to want to do it. You know, and a, you know, a strategy story will help people convince them that, you know, we really can do this, and I really understand my role in this strategy, as opposed to just here are the four bullet points of our strategy on a document that's in a file drawer. So, yes, most leaders most leaders have a vision and a strategy, but very few have a vision story or strategy story, and and I think they need both. Do you think it's been made more difficult to tell these stories? you know, with as much emotion or as much connection because they can't physically be there? Mm. Yeah, so uh, moving everything to virtual has definitely made things more challenging. We get a lot of our communication from nonverbal cues, right? So some of that is tone of voice and some of that is facial expression and some of that is body language. And, um, you know, people who really study this will tell you that pheromones have, have play a role in it and all kinds of other things. And so... You know, when you're on the phone, certainly you, you lose an awful lot of that. You lose all the visual components. And, you know, you and I are on a video call right now. And so I can see your face and I can see your eyes, you know, I can, but, you know, I can't I can't see your hands or your arms or, you know, are you crossing your legs or not? You know, so there's a lot of the body language that is just missing. Um, and so there's, there's just there's definitely something about a human presence in front of you that makes it easier to command attention, easier to stay engaging to your audience and so it, there, there are more challenges for sure in video uh, or online than than in person have you been able to kind of help people i mean find a way not necessarily to uh to overcome that because it's something that you can only do so much about but a way to cope yeah so and, and this, this may sound self-serving but i i, I think that storytelling is even more important when you don't have those in-person engaging, you know, attributes. When you can't command attention because you're in the room with people, it's even more important that you use stories because stories are just so engaging, right? They're just, they, they make it easier to keep your audience's attention and to convince them of things and to have them role play in their mind, their role in the story. So I think it's even more important to tell stories in this virtual world than it is in person. Um, you probably need to make the story shorter because people have a shorter attention span, I think, in a in an online context. So I, the leadership stories I teach people to tell are typically three to five minutes. So maybe it needs to be one or two minutes, in, you know, if you're online. Um, you can tell a great story in 30 seconds, too. Um, so they don't, they don't have to be long. So, But other than the length, I'm, I'm not sure a lot would change about the way you would tell the story, uh, just that I think it's probably even more important uh, online than it is face to face. Yeah, and that's a that's a really interesting thought I hadn't thought about, which is you know the length of the the story. Because when I think about the great speeches of history, there are these segments that are cut out of a very very long speech generally. But really, you know, most people are inspired by that that thirty seconds or that two minutes that you know makes the whole speech come together. Or, right. You know, it, it presents their biggest emotion. Right. Yeah. And if, and if people have done these studies where, you know, you'll go to a conference, a three day conference, and you go into all these different classes and speeches and stuff. And then, you know, the experimentals will ask people after it's done. So what do you remember the most about that whole thing? And do you think it's ever, oh, slide number 72 is really, no, I think <laughs> it's, oh, you know, it's when that woman told that story about, you know, the kid and the digital, whatever, you know. That, they remember the stories. Um, and, you know, six months later, that's the only thing they'll remember. So 
you got to find a way to fit your most important content into a story if you really want it to be remembered. Do you think there's something in that, just because of the way that uh, you present that example, do you think there's probably even benefit to people who teach, you know, needing to learn this storytelling because it just conveys better? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I have a, one of the courses that I teach on LinkedIn is um, uh, storytelling for uh, trainers. They're not teachers, but uh, people who are professional right. trainers. So storytelling in training, I think, is the title of it. Um, yeah, so where, where, where I apply these storytelling techniques and teach teachers how to use it to be better instructors. So, yeah, it's a very important technique for, for instructing and teaching. Yeah, I was just thinking back to, you know, the the history I have, you know, doing all kinds of different training, and it always feels like there's these moments where the instructor just starts telling this personal story, and in the moment it feels, you know, kind of like, what's this tangent we're on? But even now, you know, all this time later, it's kind of the one thing I remember from the class that I'm like, oh yeah, right. there we had that story. And, and hopefully it was a relevant story, you know, it was like, and because that's when, oh, everything clicked together and you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Um, in fact, that one of the most important things that a, a, an instructor, a teacher, a professor will do um, is tell those stories to help people understand on a concrete level what they're talking about. So they can talk theoretically and philosophically about something for a long time and people still don't get it. And then they just give them an example. Give, it, give me an example then. Okay, well, let's, so let's say you were doing this, and then this happened, and then this happened. Well, what would happen then? Oh, yeah, and now they get it. So it's the example, which is almost always a story that helps people understand in a concrete fashion the philosophical or conceptual idea that they're trying to learn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the one that almost clicks, like, right into place in this conversation, and I haven't thought about probably for a year or more, I was taking a class back in community college and I had a writing professor and we were just, you know, we'd write whatever the prompt was. And he told this story and I don't have any idea where it was from, but it was about a, I want to say a father that told his son, you know, climb up in this tree and tell me, you know, a story, basically what you see over the day. Tell me what you see. Um, and the son did it. And he comes down and he tells him, you know, I saw the neighbors do this and I saw, you know, this dog in the park and whatever. And his dad just said, do it again. Like, you're not understanding, do it again. And it wasn't until like the fourth time that he'd done this that he's like, nothing changes up here. I'm, I'm so tired of looking at all these other people. Uh, he started focusing on the tree he was in. And so when he came down, he told his father all about the tree instead of all about the people. And he said, you know, you need to understand your perspective in the story as well. And so that was mm -hmm. like the, wow, I guess every time you tell a story, you do need to be, you know, knowing where your perspective is coming from and, and what exactly the, the angle is you're viewing this on. Yeah. Interesting. I want to have to think about that more. I can imagine a, a number of in interesting lessons coming out of that story. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. It was very, uh, it was very deep in the moment, and it was one of those, it's like, oh, that's a cool story, and uh, it's just stuck with me since. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the details been lost, but the core concept is still there. Is there any kind of, you know, speaker or moment, like, what brought you into loving storytelling? 
Yeah, there were probably several moments. The, the, the one that's always kind of stuck out with me is um, my first time to present to the CEO of Procter & Gamble, where I worked for 20 years. Um, I, I was the first person on the agenda. I was speaking to him and the rest of the entire leadership team. And, and so I got there early and had my computer set up and with the slides projecting on a screen and everything. And, and it happened to be this, this executive conference room where they met was round and had a round table in the middle of it. And so I was sitting wherever I had to sit to connect my computer to the projector, but all the executives started filing in and the CEO, when he came in, he chose the seat to sit down in that was literally right underneath the, the screen. So the screen was behind him and above his head so that he wouldn't be able to see my slides without turning around or craning his neck or something. And I, I immediately got worried that I mean, this is not going to go well, right? He's going to, you know, he's going to constantly be having to turn around and that's going to be annoying. He's going to hurt his neck and he's not going to be in a good enough mood to approve my recommendation. But anyway, I, I just went on ahead, right? And I get about halfway through this presentation, I realize this guy hasn't turned around once to look at my slides. And, and I stopped being worried about his neck and I started worrying that he just wasn't going to understand. I mean, how, how can you understand what I'm presenting if you're not looking? Anyway, I finished the whole 20 minutes and he never once looked at my slides. And I left thinking that I'd been this big failure. And by the time I got back to my desk, I realized, wait a minute, that wasn't a failure. He, he, he actually approved my recommendation at the end of that. So why do I feel like such a failure? And it was just because he never looked at my slides. And that's when it hit me that he, he knew something that I didn't know until that moment. And this, this was it, is that if I've got anything important to say, I'm going to say it. It's going to come out of my mouth. Like he knew that those slides were there more for my benefit than for his benefit you know, to remind me what I was going to say next. Basically, it was my speech prompt. And he knew that. And so he knew that looking at me was all that was important. And I, he was looking at me the whole time. He was not looking at my slides. And that's when I realized it's not about the slides. You know, it's about what you say. And, and it was about, you know, that as him as a CEO, what he wanted was for somebody on the front lines of the business, me, to come in and tell him a story about what's going on and give him a chance to help. That's all he wanted. That was my job at that moment was to tell him a story. And so that once I realized that I, I started focusing on it a lot. Yeah. And did that like, even in the moment you're like, okay, he's not looking at this. I have to be so descriptive that my, you know, my slides aren't necessary. Well, I, I'm not sure I was smart enough to think of all of that on my <laughs> feet. It, it occurred to me later that, you know, all, all that I just said occurred to me later when I got back to my desk. At the moment, I was just frazzled by, it. you know, I mean, here I am, my first time in front of the CEO, I was scared enough as it was, right? And plus, the guy's not looking at my slides, so it kind of freaked me out a little bit. But I think it was a, a, a worthy lesson that I learned. I say maybe that's something, you know, a lot of people out there need to hear is uh, you don't necessarily need to make the flashiest presentation. You just need right. to... Uh, Make sure they're paying attention to you. Yeah. So inside of all that, obviously, storytelling has this great tool. What do you think are some of the best kind of skills to augment that, to, you know, assist you in your storytelling or to, you know, just present better? Yeah, so a, a few tips. Like, first of all, great stories have a structure. Like bad stories tend to be rambling, run-on messes. So you need a good structure for your story. And I'll, I'll give you the one that I use. It's, it's pretty simple. It's eight questions your story needs to answer. So first of all, why should I bother listening to your story? Right, you need to answer that question for the audience or they might not listen. You need to give them a reason to want to listen. 
But once you've done that, you've kind of earned the right to answer the next five questions, which are uh, where and when did it happen? Who's the main character and what do they want? What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? Right? That should sound like the natural flow of a story, right? Because it is. But if you're keeping track, I think that's only six. There's, so there's two more questions you got to answer. And that is, what did you learn from the story? And what do you think I should go do now? I, the person you're telling the story to. So that, that's your, those questions are your opportunity to draw a conclusion and make a recommendation. Because stories you tell at work are not just supposed to entertain people. They're supposed to accomplish some objective, you know, leadership objective of some kind. So you've got to have those last two questions in there answered so that you'll make sure that your audience does what you need them to go do. But that, that's one thing is having a, a tight, uh, logical structure to tell your story. Um, but you also need to create the right emotional engagement stories you know, are emotional and there are specific techniques you can use to do that um, you know one of those techniques is I call a, a show me technique and that doesn't mean you act out the emotion you know on stage or anything it just means describing the physical manifestations of the emotions on the main character so instead of saying he was angry say he started yelling well people yell when they're angry right your audience will figure it out or instead of saying she was sad say she started crying well, people cry when they're sad, right? Your audience will figure it out. So instead of just naming the emotion that your audience, that your characters have, describe what they're doing that will clue the audience in as to what their emotional state is. And for some reason, that's just a stronger way for an audience to participate in the emotion or to uh, empathize with the emotion is to figure it out from the clues. Um, but there are also techniques you can use to create a surprise ending in a story. So there, there are lots of specific techniques that, you know, you I teach in my books and my classes. So it, it's not just stories are not just, Oh, just start talking and you know, <laughs> yeah, see what comes out. <laughs> yeah. See what comes out. I mean, that, that's, you're just winging it. I mean, there are specific techniques that you need to use. And those, those are a few. No, that's great. Cause obviously we could talk, you know, story writing and all the genres and everything forever. Um, but if you're speaking, you know, professionally, uh, do you think it is best to kind of wrap up your entire presentation with this question, something to leave them on. With what question? Oh, if you're if you're presenting to say a team of leadership, whatever your your project is or whatever your presentation's about, um, is it best to end it with a question? Mm. You know, something that kind of forces their involvement a little, or you know, just to well, think about what's happening. I guess that depends on what your purpose is. If your purpose there is to get their approval to fund your project, then yeah, your last question ought to be, do I have your approval to fund this project, <laughs> right? Sure. I mean, so it literally depends on what your objective is. Um, I think a, a, a penetrating, perplexing, challenging question is actually a good tool to open a conversation with, as opposed to closing one. The closing one ought to be more perfunctory and just, to, you know, like, like, can I have your approval to move forward? Right. Um, but opening it with, you know, a, a, a challenging, intriguing question is a great way to get your audience's attention, get their engagement and get them thinking about how to solve your problem. So you might think about, I, I think it's even more important to have a, a question at the, the beginning. See, that's why I ask the questions because I'm yeah. frequently wrong and I try not to ramble, but every once in a while I do get there. <laughs> Yeah, we, we all do. Yeah. In the same way that you can kind of provoke emotion with the story, is there a good way to use that same story in a workplace setting to kind of minimize emotion from everyone else? 
So kind of, you know, to cut through some of the drama that might be happening. Yeah. So drama happens, right? Yep. Um, I, I, I think the, the best place storytelling can help you when it relates to drama comes from, I guess I would say like gossip. Right. So one of the things that causes drama in a workplace is that people are gossiping about other people and he did this and she did this and, um, or the boss did this. And, and if the things that they're saying are distracting or put the company in a bad light or put one of the leaders in a bad light, that obviously can be um, d- destructive to the purposes of the organization. Well, you, you can't keep people from gossiping. I don't think. Right. Probably not. It's just difficult. Right. But what you can do is give them something more productive to gossip about. So what I mean by that is, so gossip is just stories, right? Right. People are just telling stories. So instead of having them tell these bad stories, stories you don't want them to tell, if you want them to stop telling those stories, you need to give them more interesting stories to tell. Right? So they'll have something to gossip about that's at least productive and so you, you can seed those in the organization. So if, if people are telling stories about, oh, the CEO who did this bad thing or whatever, well, find some examples of when the CEO did something really good and start telling them and share those stories at your team meetings and on the company website. And, and that will become the thing that people talk about. Well, maybe not all the time, but some of the time. And every bit of that some of the time that they're telling the good story there's another moment that they're not telling the bad story. So you need to fill the organization with good stories that will just crowd out the bad stories. And I think that's the best way to use storytelling to minimize the destructive type of drama that goes on with gossip. Gotcha. It's kind of a, a character develop, you know, uh, like you're, you're working around the story of this person to, to build a, a better image. Mm, and yeah. so you're like, yes, we've developed all these other characteristics that you just haven't heard the story yet. Right, right. That's great. I was going to ask if you think there is a way to kind of avoid maybe a preconceived bias in people when they come in, you know, maybe they already don't want to hear this this presentation or they already have their mind set on something else. Is there a best way to help kind of either break through that bias or just, you know, kind of circumvent it? Yeah, so somebody who's biased against the idea that you're going to recommend, is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there are a couple of different strategies for delivering a presentation that that, that I, I teach in a different class. One of those is just, well, figure out the most important three decision-making criteria that your audience has and just give them those three reasons for why they should approve your recommendation. But if you have an audience who's biased against your idea preconceived has some preconceived notions or they just you know ahead of time they're just they're they're not going to buy into this a different strategy is instead of going in with our here are the three reasons why you should agree with me is go in with in more of a storytelling fashion and that would look like this you'd go in and say so back last year here was the situation and you describe what was going on in your business so it's the context and then you say something changed this happened this our competitors did this or the market, this happened in the marketplace or we have, you know, whatever building caught on fire, something happened (laughs) and it changed the situation. So now where we are is in this situation. And so I'm recommending that we do this about this problem. And here are my three reasons why. So you end up getting to the three reasons, just like you did in the first one. 
but not until after you explained, the, you told the story of how we got to this situation. Here's how things were going. Then something really weird happened. And that led us to this situation. So now we're in this quandary. Now, here's what I think we should do about it. And there's something about taking the audience through that journey of back to when nothing was wrong. <laughs> and then all of a sudden something changed. And now we're in a place where there's a problem. Just them seeing that and walking through that problem process with you will make them more likely to want to support your solution than if you just come in and say, hey, I recommend that we do this and here are my three reasons. So just taking them on your intellectual journey, how you got to this place uh, is typically more effective in that situation. That's great. Um, so if someone was, we'll just say someone in the audience, um, was looking to, you know, become a leader or to try and become the person that recommends projects, uh, is there a way that you would, you know, give them advice on how to maybe avoid like a stage fright? If they're like, mm -hmm. I really want to be the person that delivers projects. However, I'm terrified about talking in front of people. Yeah. So, I mean, as a public speaker, you, you run into that every time. And I'll, first of all, I'll just say, nobody is immune to that. Everybody gets a little twinge of discomfort when they walk on stage or walk up in front of a group to start talking. It's just normal. It's human. It's human. Now, if you had a debilitating level of stage fright where you just, you can't get words out of your mouth and you're sweating profusely and like, yeah, that's not good, but everybody has a little bit. And I, I, I think that those, those nerves, those butterflies in the stomach, you know, I think that's a good thing. It, it, it makes you focus. It, you, you're not going to, you know, drift off and not pay attention to what you're doing <laughs> when you got those butterflies in the stomach. You're highly focused on what you're doing. I think that's productive and healthy. Um, if it gets to a really bad, unhealthy place, obviously that's not so good. But um, I, I, I don't know that I have any techniques for it other than the more you do it, the less of an issue it becomes. You know, if you only give a speech, you know, once every two years, I can imagine it would be terrifying. Um, but if you do it, you know, three times a week, it's just, it's no big deal, right? It's something you're used to. So I think pr practice, having experience doing it will certainly help you. Now, my mom told me the th same thing your mom probably told you when you're in the third grade and you had to do a book report, right? What did your mom tell you? Uh, is this the... To, uh, not, to not be nervous. Yeah. Uh, picture everyone naked. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, your, your mom was a little bit more... Uh, my mom said in their underwear, but naked works too. So but that tells me something about your mom. So, <laughs> um, yeah, my mom said picture them in their underwear. Uh, I, I've never actually tried that, um, but I could imagine it, it, would, it would make me laugh on stage instead of... <laughs> right. But, you know, it's probably hard to be nervous when you're... or to be terrified when you're laughing at something. So uh, maybe it would work. But I, I just think uh, ex experience doing it. Well, you, once you do it a few times, it just becomes less of a, less of a big deal. Um, the, I think the other thing I would say yeah, this is probably important, is know what you're going to say really, really well. Because most of what I think is behind stage fright is the fear of screwing up and looking bad in front of all those people. And there's nothing that makes you look worse than going up there and just and fumbling over your notes and not knowing what you're going to say and starting your sentences over and like really just not being prepared. 
So I think being prepared and practice if you need to over and over and over again and close the office door and practice, you know, um, being prepared, I think, is the number one solution to stage fright. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, when you're in college and you had a really hard test coming up, you were really nervous about it. And going into the test and during the test and after the test, you're like petrified, right? But a test that you thought was going to be easy, like you, you didn't stress about it, right? You went in, you took the test, you got all the questions right, you nailed it, right? I mean, and you knew you were nailing it while you were nailing it, right? Uh, that's how you want the speech to feel. You want to feel like oh, I'm nailing it the whole time. So being prepared, studying, right? Correct. Like you did for the test. If you, when you studied really hard for a test, you weren't nervous about the test. When you didn't study for the test, that's when you were more nervous. So study, prepare. I think you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, it's definitely been part of, uh, obviously I'm, I'm fairly new to podcasting. Um, it's definitely been part of the process as I'm like, even right now, like my hands are sweaty and I'm not doing, I'm sitting in a chair talking yeah. to you over the internet. And it's one of those that I just kind of had to get comfortable with. I'm, I might ask a question that's really dumb and I might look like I don't know anything about anything. And you know what? That's okay. Because that's kind of what I'm here for. You know, I'm, I made this that's show, I made the show to feel, you know, like, Hey, next time you feel dumb in a situation, just embrace it be willing to learn and and just you know have a have a good time with it because even when i do say and i've had some really bad guesses on things before even when i do i'm just like oh well guess i'm learning from this <laughs> there you go learning's always good yeah. well i don't have a whole lot for you but i appreciate your time that you've given us today it's definitely been very educational and i hope it's helped people out there any final words of advice that you like to just kind of give people on a, a regular basis? Yeah, I think I would just remind you of something I think I said earlier, which is tr treat storytelling like any other leadership skill set that you want to have and study it. Don't just wing it or assume that, oh, I'll, yeah, I should start telling more stories. Well, if you don't know how to tell stories, don't go telling a bunch of stories. You're probably terrible at it, <laughs> right? So learn it first. L learn like you would learn anything else. Like I said, buy a book, take a class, watch a video, whatever. And then, then you can practice, but learn the skill set first. And I think it'll be worth your while. There you go. And uh, I would say my advice, go buy your books. So if people want to uh, buy your books or find more about you, where could they do it? Uh, yeah, thanks. So probably my website's the easiest way. It's got links to the books and the classes and everything there. So that's uh, leadwithastory.com. So just the name of my first book, leadwithastory.com, and everything's there. Nice. All right. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate the opportunity a lot. You bet. Thanks for having me on. See, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't so painful after all. No, it wasn't so bad. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please reach out, tell family, coworkers, friends, anything uh, to listen to it. I would greatly appreciate any support you can give us. If you've really enjoyed it, you could go on to Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Just leave a good review. Um, maybe if it's really funny, I'll read it on the show. I enjoy good humor. Um, or if you have a good dumb example, I'll, maybe I'll read that too. Uh, otherwise, if you want to reach out to us, I'm on social media, Dumb Enough Podcast pretty much everywhere. Or you could reach out at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for guests or questions for guests or just want to chat, reach out to me there.
I'll get a hold of you. All right. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.